The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. If you have been to church over the last few weeks, then you will know. No, last few weeks. Last week. Was last week the first time, first of these? Gosh. See, this is the effect of Christmas. There was Stuart and I hanging off a ladder on Friday out the front of the building and I, in the freezing cold and I thought, hang on a second, what's going on here? But Stuart has done an amazing job of getting these lights up and making everything fit in with our advertising. Thank you, Stuart, for that. Advertising, just because we want to we wanna communicate something to people over this Christmas time. We want to communicate the love of God. We want to communicate that God has come for them to help them and to strengthen them in their lives. And so this week is our last opportunity to use those invitations to invite people for this carol service next week. Uh, Just see if we can find imaginative ways of inviting people and bringing them along so that they can come and enjoy what Jesus has done for them and to hear about that. So if you haven't got any, there's still some of those uh, leaflets up on the coffee bar. So do take some of those and make sure we use them this week for that effect. This week we're looking at the second part of our soul plan. That's this little series that we're in at the moment. And today's title is God's Instructions and Our Reactions. God's Instructions and Our Reactions. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't work. We don't worry about that. Uh, If we could have the verse up, first of all. This is the verse we were looking at last week, Mark 8, 36 to 37. In the New Living Translation, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Or if we look at that in another version in the uh, Living Bible, and how does a man benefit? How does a man benefit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? For is anything more worth more than his soul? This is what Jesus was communicating to his disciples and to the people around him and trying to get them to understand, look folks, what is the value of you spending all your life going after everything and then you lose your own soul? We need to understand that there is real value in a soul. Perhaps it would be good for us to take a moment of reflection, as it were, and just contemplate this. What are we living for? Are we living for everything? Yet everything, as much as we can get, as much as the next person has got, and even more than them, are we living for everything? Or are we living for Jesus and the purposes that he has given for us to live? What are we living for? It's worth considering. You know, many of us look through this world through glasses. Some people talk about the fact that people look through rose-colored glasses. And when they say that, they mean that people are looking at the world with everything is positive, everything is favorable, everything is going well. And there is a sense when we look at the world through rose-colored glasses that actually we get a a wrong opinion of what is going on. Rose-colored glasses sort of say this, it's freezing cold and your train or your bus has just been cancelled, 
rose-coloured glasses say, never mind, there's another one coming along in a moment. Doesn't matter about the minus three wind chill factor on the station platform. There's another one coming. That's rose-coloured glasses. Rose-coloured glasses say this. In an area of high unemployment, some parts of the country are particularly like this, high unemployment where it's difficult to get a job, where the young people are feeling like, is there any prospect for me? And somebody says, but look at all the lovely countryside around you. Lovely places for you to go for a brisk walk and enjoy yourself. It misses the point of what life and the difficulties of life that people are facing. Some people look at life through rose-coloured glasses. What sort of glasses do you look at the world through? Some people look at the glasses about achievement. What can I achieve? The achievement glasses. What education can I gain? What finances can I gain? What status can I achieve? What pension can I achieve? The achievement glasses that we're looking at, that's what we're going for. Listen, we need glasses that open our spiritual eyesight. We need the glasses that give us the view, the spiritual view of what is going on in the world around us. Because all around us, the Bible tells us, the harvest is white. The fields are ready for harvest. And only through spiritual eyes can we really start to see what is really going on around us. And those are the sort of glasses that we want to be looking at the world through. How does a man benefit if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? For is there anything worth more than a soul? There are souls all around us. And as we were looking at last week, souls, as far as God is concerned, souls have great value. They have great value because God created them. They have great value because they're not just for a few moments, for a few years, 70, 80, 90, whatever it may be. They're not just for that length of time, but they have an eternal value to them. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Your body is decaying, but your spirit and your soul are eternal. And God is concerned with our souls because they are eternal, and because he knows that unless a soul is saved... That soul faces an eternity alongside the devil in the place that is assigned for the devil, which is hell itself. Therefore, God has an incredible vested interest to see that souls are rescued from that destiny and are brought into the kingdom of his son. God doesn't want any soul to be lost, but he wants everyone, every soul to be saved. There's a scripture, 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4, which it says, this is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants all people to be saved. What, even the unlovely? Yes, the unlovely. It doesn't matter whether they're short or tall, fat or thin or whatever colour their skin is or whatever their background, Jesus came to die for the sins of the whole world. And his desire is to see souls being saved from a destiny of hell, but being brought into the destiny of heaven. Billy Graham says this, God sees your soul as the most valuable thing in the world, so valuable that he sent his only son to the cross to suffer and die so that your soul may be saved. You see, God has tremendous value and puts tremendous value on the souls of men and women. But here's a, a question for us. We're understanding that souls are valuable. 
And we in the church, and having listened to many sermons over many years, would understand that Jesus has given us commands as Christians. Let me ask this question. Are we clear? Are we all clear about what Jesus has instructed us as his disciples to do? Are we clear about that? Is there any confusion that comes to us about that? Well, just in case there is, let's just remind ourselves about what Jesus has commanded us to do. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Or perhaps if you want that a little bit more concisely, we could read Mark 16, verse 5, where he says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That sort of like brings it right down. What have I got to do? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Okay, right. These are the instructions that Jesus has given. The instruction to go. Go is not a sitting in the seat and doing nothing. Go is a moving situation. We have to go from where we are to where the souls are. We need to move ourselves from our seats, from our armchairs, from our houses, from our comfort zones. We need to go from comfort to what feels like discomfort. We need to go to where the souls are. Jesus told us to go, to go, and to make disciples. Jesus has actually said whilst he is looking for souls, he's not just looking for us to save souls, he's looking for us to make disciples. And that means that there is a sense in which we want to connect with people with the gospel and we want to seek those people to come to know Jesus and to be disciples of Jesus. In actual fact, what we've been called to do is to make disciples and disciples are people who lead people to Jesus and then they go on and lead people to Jesus, and then the people that they've led to Jesus go on and lead people to Jesus. So it becomes an ongoing thing. That's what we've been taught to do. That's what we've been commanded to do. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I want you to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse those who have leprosy, to drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Get out there and do the work of my kingdom. These are God's instructions. Now what about our reactions? Those are God's instructions, but what are our reactions to those instructions? Here's a challenge that the Bible gives. And the Bible says this in John 14, 15, if you love me, says Jesus, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Did we know what God's instructions were? I think, generally speaking, we would say, yes, we do. We do know what God's instructions are. And we have a desire within us to make it happen. We have a desire to see that come to pass because God has touched our lives and has helped us and enabled us, and therefore we want to see others helped. We want to see others released. Jesus didn't give us the great suggestion. He gave us the Great Commission. And we have been commanded to go and make disciples, to go and preach the good news about Jesus. The passion of heaven is to see lost souls being saved. We here and now, we are the arms and the legs of Jesus. Jesus came down. 
Christmas, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus has come. Emmanuel has come amongst his people. God is now with us. But then we read that he went back to heaven. But he is the head of the church. And we are Christ's body here upon the earth. And therefore, as the body, our role is to be the arms and the legs to do the work that Jesus has left for us to do. He is our commanding officer. He is the one who's leading and guiding. He is the one who gives us instructions. But we who are left upon the earth, we are now that visual representation to those around us of Jesus himself. We are his arms. We are his legs. We are his body. We are to be about his master's business. In Romans 10, 13 to 14, it says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, it goes on to say, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You see, there's a responsibility that God has put upon us and we feel that responsibility. I feel that responsibility. You feel that responsibility. But let's ask another question. What is it that hinders us? What is it that hinders us? And there are things that hinder us. For instance, apathy. Apathy is an absence of passion, emotion, or excitement. So if that's what apathy is, you see, apathy comes upon us because... What? There is an absence of a passion for us to get out and see souls saved. There's an absence of our emotion or excitement about it. We're excited when we hear that people are saved, but what about us being involved in that? There's apathy, there is numbness. And numbness is where we are deprived of feeling. I, I, I'm not really bothered whether people get saved or not. You see, there's a numbness that comes upon us. We no longer have that sense of urgency within our hearts. And then there's an indifference. Indifference is where there is a lack of interest or a lack of concern. These are things that hinder us. Now, rather than you sitting there listening to me proclaim these things, you don't need to beat yourselves up over whether these things are in your life. These things are seen in my life. I pray to God that these things will be removed, not only from my life, but from all of our lives. Let's not pretend that, oh, oh gosh, is it me he's talking about? I'm talking about us. I'm talking about the state of the church in the nation. That's what we're talking about. Because we do see these things. We don't like to talk about this. God, remove the apathy. Remove the numbness. Remove the indifference. These things just make us come to church and say like, oh, it'd be nice if somebody else came and joined us. Where the urgency of the gospel is this, is that souls have such value that unless they are rescued, they're going to hell. And the passion of heaven, as it were, the host of heaven, that's why it rejoices when they see a sinner being saved. Because there's another one that has come into my kingdom. There is a passion. But I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm pointing the finger at us. I'm declaring the state of what is going on in the nation as far as the church is concerned. And along with situations of numbness and apathy and indifference, we see things like this. Well, there's thoughts that come into our minds that suggest well, I'm not really sure I've got something of great value. I mean, everybody seems to have their lives together. They've got everything. They're sorted out for Christmas. Look, I, I haven't even begun buying my presents. I don't know what we're going to do. I'll go to church. But they seem to have everything ready. Yeah, but they haven't got Jesus. They haven't got Jesus. And he is the Prince of Peace. 
You know, that means that he is the prince of shalom. And what shalom means isn't just, oh, it's quiet. It means that the broken pieces have come back together. That's what it means. There's a wholeness. There's a new wholeness. There's a whole togetherness because God has come among his people. And as his creation, we're starting to connect with the creator and life has meaning. Beyond a bottle of gin or beyond another mince pie, there is meaning in what God wants. But, you know, we have thoughts in our minds that say, have I really got anything that's of great value? Because you see, numbness and apathy has taken its toll upon our souls and there is a spiritual atmosphere that is starting to affect us who are seeking to live for the kingdom, but that atmosphere is bringing us, well, I'm not really sure, or perhaps I won't share, perhaps I'll stand back. Perhaps it's just because we're scared. Is anybody scared? All right, put your hands down. You see, because that's how I feel. I feel scared. Now, maybe I've had more experience of speaking the gospel uh, and of preaching, but there's still a fear that comes upon us, and we want to see that fear go. That fear has no right to hold us because the kingdom of God and the message of salvation is what rescues people, and they need to hear it. I see Oliver there when you were baptized just a couple of weeks ago, and you're giving your testimony about how Jesus has changed your life. I was once like this, but now I'm changing. And okay, we know these things are a process, but God has come to rescue, and he rescues. And when we know he's rescued us, then it gives us a motivation to see others being rescued too. I'm scared in, I don't, to share my faith in case I look stupid. I don't really seem to have the opportunities. I'm not really sure who to go to. These are all questions that come to my mind, let alone yours. And there's 101 other statements we could write down too. We're foolish if we think that we're the only one who thinks like that. And you know what? It's not necessarily our thoughts. They're the thoughts that the enemy wants to flood our minds with for one reason, that we would not take the gospel out. Because he knows the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes it. He knows the power. It, it, I find it astonishing that you know who the ones who knew who Jesus was and they shouted it out without, with boldness. Do you know who they were? The demonized people because it was the demons in them were saying, this is the Holy One of God. He is Jesus. He is the Messiah. They knew the demons know who Jesus is. It's us here living on the earth with all of our luxuries and the things that we have, which God has enabled us and blessed us with, but they can come to a blessing and to a place where we've lost sight of the reason that we are here for. We have been called to go and to make disciples to reach the lost. And in one sense, I don't have all the answers to this, but I can tell you this, I in myself have made up my mind, enough is enough. And if there's a barrier of fear, and it feels like a wall of fear at times, that wall has to come down, and I will walk through it in the name of Jesus. I will walk through it. I know that I need my spiritual eyes opened. I know that I need to command fear to go. I know that we need to declare together that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we need to proclaim that salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. 
We need to take hold of these things and we need to declare it. We should all be ready to save souls. The Bible tells us, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, it says, revere Christ as Lord. Listen to this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, Peter was explaining that we always need to be ready. We always need to be ready. You know, someone else has said this. If not you, who? If not now, when? How powerful is that? Because it speaks into our hearts and we think like, yes. Now last week you have heard us talking about our soul plan. And the reason we're preaching about this is because we're talking about what we want to have going on all the time next year, is that we want to be reaching out to souls. And for all of us, for the whole church, throughout 2018, we want to have a soul plan. And our soul plan is this, one soul, one prayer, one ask. Now let me just go through that. What are we talking about? We want to have one soul. We want to be praying as an individual. We want you to ask God to say, Lord, put upon my heart the name of someone who you want me to see saved. You want to use me in that. Lord, put upon my heart one soul that I might pray for that one name. And we want to be asking God, God, who is it? And we need to be praying as a church, because you ask me, well, Jonathan, what's your name? I, I don't know. I need to pray. God, put a name upon my heart. Who is it that you want me to pursue? Who is it that you want me to pray for? One soul, the name of one soul. And when we have that name, we want to be praying for that name daily. Just lifting them before God. God, will you bless this person? Will you bless them with the knowledge of Jesus? Will you change their heart from what seems to be hardness so that they may be receptive to you? And we want to be praying for that person daily. One name, one prayer being said daily for that person. And then we're saying one ask. And the object is that sometime during the year, and we know that we have services here that are designed as gospel message services. There's Easter, there's Christmas, there's different times when we can invite somebody to church. But you know what? It's not just about, well, they've got to come to Bromley Town Church. There are other uh, evangelistic things that happen that we hear about from time to time. It's that we're saying to you, take that person or ask that person sometime during the year to go somewhere where they are going to hear the gospel and it gives them a chance to respond to the gospel and can be saved. Or, of course, it may be that you have the opportunity to share with them that they also might be saved. It's a soul plan. It's to help all of us seek to be those who are soul winners. For Paul said to Timothy, he said to him, do the work of an evangelist. Because many people think, like, I'm not an evangelist. I, I just don't have that skill. I, I'm, I'm worried what I should say. And, and Paul would say to you this, would just do the work of an evangelist. Remove the title, don't worry about it, take the tension off, but uh, just do the work anyway. That's what he was saying. Now there are people who are evangelists. There are people who are, have a greater skill, a greater aptitude, a greater passion, and a greater anointing to lead people to Christ. That's an evangelist. And again, there would be different levels of evangelists. Some people are really great. Billy Graham 
is great at what he did, although he's not doing it now. His sons have taken up that mantle. But he was great at doing that because he was an evangelist and he had a calling from God. Not everybody's in the same place, but some people are certainly more wired that way than others. But you know what? This soul plan is designed for every one of us to be saying, Lord, we want to see hell being plundered, as Reinhard Bonnke said, and heaven being populated. That's what we want to see. And we've got to say, Lord, I've got to stop looking at everybody else and I want to be used by you. You have called me for purpose. You have appointed me to bear fruit. Lord, enable me to bear the fruit that you've called me to bear. It's a calling that we can give to him, a cry that we can give to him. So we've heard about God's instructions. We've heard about our reactions. And I just want to look now briefly at a couple of examples in the Bible just to encourage us of people who looked uh, and went after different areas of people. First of all, I want to look at Andrew. Andrew who went after his own family. Andrew went looking to save people in his own family. Andrew, the Andrew I'm talking about, was Simon Peter's brother. And Simon Peter, as we know, was a fisherman. We don't know where he was with God. We are assuming that he was just, just doing his fishing, doing his thing, as were his other friends. But his brother Andrew was interested in the things of God. His brother Andrew got wrapped up in the whole revival that John the Baptist was involved in. And there was John the Baptist going out into the desert and he was preaching. And he was preaching this message, as you've heard me say before. He was preaching a message that people need to repent. And look, we know all about the Jewish laws. We know what God has been saying to us. But his message, in effect, was this. It's time for us no longer to say them with our lips. It's time for us to live them with our lives. Isn't that what we want to see happen in the church today in this country? Isn't it time for us to see another John the Baptist come and to bring a revival message like that? And he was strong in what he said because when the religious leaders came out to him, he was very polite to them. You brood of vipers, who has told you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. In other words, you religious leaders... If you're saying you're religious leaders and you're going to lead us as the nation, then let's have this right up front. Start living. You say you've repented, live like you've repented. They wanted a reality about the message that was being taught. And isn't that what we want today? We want a reality about the message that is being taught. If that's what God says, that's how we need to live. And if that's what he says, that's what we want to see. And that's how we want to live in our own lives. He told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We want to see what that love looks like. Not just like, oh, hi, are you okay? It's more costly than that. Much more costly than that. And when it comes to cost, God knows what cost is. The cost for him was saying, Jesus, my only son, you need to go to earth. That's costly. And there's a cost involved in this. So John the Baptist was talking about a cost. He was talking to these people about what they needed to do. He was presenting a lifestyle. And you know what? It was a reality. And the Spirit of God was behind him. And he was preparing the way, as we know, for Jesus. But when he was preaching, people were being touched. People were saying, you're right. I don't only want to listen to this. I want to start living for this. And people were being challenged. And so people were coming out. And they were publicly confessing to their sins. This is what I've been like. This is the way it's been going on in my home. This is the way it's been going on in my business. I'm repenting. I'm turning around. And to show that they had made a new start, they were being baptized by John. Hence his name, John the Baptist. 
Because this is what was happening. There was a great stirring. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was wrapped up in this. He was one of John's disciples. That means he was following John. It means he would have been at more than one meeting. He was around. He was hanging around this guy because he liked what he heard. I just wondered to myself, I wonder what he kept coming home and speaking over the tea table. There was his brother Simon there. Oh, I've been out. Oh, no, we didn't catch any fish today. Or yes, we caught some fish. We got a load of money today. Things are good. Things are bad. We've had a half time. What are you going on about, Andrew, about this? You can imagine some of the conversations. Hello? Andrew wanted to reach members of his family, and I believe he talked about it. But you see, John the Baptist, he'd heard from God. And he'd heard this from God. He'd heard from God that said, there's going to come at some stage somebody that you're going to baptize, and when you baptize them, you're going to see the Spirit of God coming and descending upon them and remaining upon them. When you see that, that is the one who is the Son of God. That is the Messiah. You will know that. So John had already received that. And on the day when John was baptizing Jesus, and who knows, we don't know whether Andrew was there that day. It's quite possible that he was there that day. But that day when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus, then he saw what God had spoken to him. He saw the Spirit of God come down and rest on Jesus and remain on Jesus. Now he was his cousin, so there was a sense in which, hey, I already know you. But John had seen something that had spoken, that God had already spoken about. And so he knew at this moment, this was a special moment. And after that time, John went around saying, when he saw Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God, who has come to take, take away the sin of the world. Andrew heard John, who he was following, say this. Andrew he gives up following John. He now goes and follows Jesus. Jesus, can we be with you? He goes and he spends some time with Jesus, with one of the other friends. They went and spent time with Jesus. And when he had spent that time with Jesus, he came back. I can see it, I've been missing some of the... He came back. Let's put up John, John 1, 40 to 42. Andrew, Simon Peter, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So having been with Jesus, verse 41, Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which actually means rock. Andrew sought to reach his family for Jesus. And when he had met Jesus himself, he made sure that he took his brother to meet him. I don't know how many people would write down on that board family members' names. And remember, we're supposed to be writing down the name that God puts on our heart. I can think of family members like that, but I'm not sure that those are the ones that God wants me to write on the board. Okay? But nevertheless... We want to be reaching our family members. We want to be reaching out to them. Is that the calling that you have? I want to reach my family. I want to see my family saved. Or maybe you're like the second person that I'm just going to briefly look at. That's Jesus. And Jesus reached to outcasts. Do you feel like you're an outcast? 
What do we mean by outcast? Outcast are people that other people look past. They're, they're people that other people look beyond. They're people that are still living alongside us, but they're not living as closely because they don't quite fit with us. Because there's things about them. And the outcast that I'm talking about is the woman at the well in Samaria. She was an outcast for two reasons as far as Jesus as a Jew was concerned. She was from Samaria, and Jews do not associate with people from Samaria. So there, there is a, a separation in terms of people group, in terms of, well, we just don't have anything to do with you. And we know that there are many people around us, in our world, in our offices, in our schools, there are groups of people that their background would suggest, well, we don't necessarily want to have anything to do with you. To be quite honest, in this country, the way that it's proclaimed in the media, when it comes to Muslims, we, would, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Why? Because you're not the same religion as us. So it's safer for us to stay. And in any case, most of you might be terrorists, so we'll stay away from you. Hang on. Hang on. You see, that's a mindset that needs to be changed. Who are Muslims? They are people who have been created by God who loves their souls. They have been brought up in an environment where what they were taught and what they have learned is a different religious system. But God keenly is after their souls. And it doesn't matter the color of somebody's skin or it doesn't matter the religion that they are following. And even if it is a false religion, although we need to be careful in those situations, in what we say and how we conduct ourselves and how rooted we are, because we can be taken away, from, of course. But nevertheless, we want to reach all people with the gospel. All people. There is none that is outside, whether they are Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, Muslim or non-Muslim, they are welcome in the house of God. They are welcome in the house of God. Because it's only Jesus that saves. It's only Jesus that saves. So Jesus reached out to outcasts because they were others. And this woman was from Samaria, and so therefore he shouldn't have been talking to her, or it was not fashionable, it was not right, it's not what the done thing. So like, we don't speak to them. There's also a case of Jesus, who he was, just speaking to a woman by herself, not really the done thing. And in days like today, what we see in the press are how men are supposed to be treating women, or how some men have treated women, is what I should say. We need to be careful about these things. And honourable. But it wasn't only that reason that this woman was considered an outcast. The time that Jesus met her was midday. And midday, in, is certainly in, this in that country, it was hot. And so, you know what? It's not the time to be doing anything. It's not the time to be going out and gathering water. A pint of water, I learned at school, weighs a pound and a quarter. Okay? Now you know that too. Have you ever seen people, I've seen people in Africa going out with their jerry cans to fill up water. It's heavy. It's very heavy. It's not the sort of weight you want to be carrying around when the sun is beating down on you. But you know what? If you're rejected by the other women in the village because they all think that you're a bit of a, a prostitute, you know what? You want to go undercover. You want to go at a time when nobody else is around. You want to save yourself all of those embarrassing questions. You want to save yourself from their looks or their disdain or the way that they are. And so you pick a time of the day when nobody else wants to go and collect their water so that you can collect yours and everything will be all right. But Jesus came for people like that. And I don't know what you feel about your life because here you'd say, well, nobody is an outcast here. You know where we feel outcasts? We feel it inside. 
And even amongst a group of people, you can still feel an outcast. I don't fit because I don't earn enough money. I haven't got the right level of education. I don't know this. I don't know that. I don't do this. My background has been something different from yours. Listen, Jesus came to save you. And he came for outcasts. He came for you. He came to rescue you. And if you feel you're an outcast, I want to tell you today, Jesus thinks you're special. So special that he sent his son to die for you. Because he's calling you into relationship. He loves you. Jesus encountered this woman who, that was her background. And he speaks to her and she says, like, well, you shouldn't be speaking to me. And he gets through that part of conversation. And he says, like, well, you're drawing water. Give me a drink. And she said, well, I, he says, I want a drink. She said, well, you haven't got anything to draw water with. No, I haven't. Please, can you give me a drink? You know, and then as she's getting the water and drawing it for him, he starts saying strange things like, well, of course, if you'd have asked me, I'd have given you living water. And then you wouldn't have had to come here. She says, give me this water. I don't want to come out here. I don't want to have all this hassle. I want to have my life changed. I want this living water. And so the conversation began just out of a politeness, but it begins to go deeper, and suddenly it gets to a point where she's saying, well, this is what we think, you Jews, you know all sorts of other things, and you Jews say we have to worship Jesus in a certain, have to worship God in a certain place, and, and we think he is nicer, and, and Jesus says to her, look, there's going to come a time when all of that's going to be put to one side, when the Messiah comes. And she says, oh, I know the Messiah's coming. We're looking for the Messiah. Because there's that sense in which when he comes, everything's going to be right. Jesus says to her, the one who is talking to you is he. And then he goes and says to her, go and call your husband. And she just says, I, I don't have a husband. And through the Holy Spirit, he knows about her life. And he says, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The truth is you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. When we go to reach people, God can give us information about those people that we never knew. Why? Because he has an interest in reaching them. And when Jesus spoke those words, that woman's life was opened up. She says, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> that was some wisdom. But I tell you the reaction. She went back to all the people who she had problems with, and she said this, guys, you can come up. She said this, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Listen, when you come to Jesus, the shame of your life is taken away, and you want to start to tell people, hey, I found something of reality. I found something that really matters. I found somebody who can meet my needs. I found somebody who can give me living water. I found somebody who can rescue me. I found somebody who loves me. And your life is transformed. We want to be interested in this soul plan this year because souls matter to God. They matter a great deal. Our soul plan, and next week we're going to have a board that is up, and it's going to be up for the whole year, so not just next week but we're going to introduce it next week so that we can start to write names on that board so that we have a point of contact, we have a remembrance, we have something that we can focus on. It's not for us to go and look at it and say, oh, whose names are on there in one sense. It's for us to see that people are actually seeking souls and praying that God will do something. And that's something for all of us to be involved in. But this morning I want to make a call 
to certain people who I believe are here, who there's, a, there's something in their souls that goes beyond that. And I'm not trying to say that these are special people. I just know that there are people amongst us that within them, they know, they know what we're talking about is what they have to be involved in. And it's going another step. It's not just saying, look, I'm going to take time, I'm going to reach out to specific people. It's, we need to reach out to strangers too. Jesus says the harvest fields are ripe, they're ready for harvest. What we need is workers to go into the harvest field. There is fruit that is ripe for picking. There are people who, who we walk past in the street. There are people who are ready and waiting for the good news to come to them. And it's the power of God, don't forget. It's not us. We are agents. It's his power that transforms people. But we can't see the brokenness. We can't see everything that's going on. Jesus didn't know the brokenness of the woman at the well until the Spirit revealed to him the things that had been going on in her life. But when he knew that, ah, oh, this woman, I can know she's broken. But God wants to bring broken people into his hot fold. And I want to raise up a group of people who are prepared to go and to speak to strangers a short message and to introduce them to Jesus. I'm not saying that everybody that we speak to is going to get saved. Not everybody is ripe. Not everybody is ready. Not everybody is ready for that moment in the kingdom. But you know what? We want to find those who are and we want to introduce them to Jesus. And I believe there are people here who want to be among that number who go out. I know it's not everybody. I know everybody now is thinking like, I don't think I have the calling for an evangelist, but I think somebody else in this room does. Okay, but I'm speaking to those people who you are listening to what I'm saying and your heart is being stirred because I want to commit with you that we will give you training and we will help you, but we will be going out. We will be holding one another accountable because we know that there are souls that are going to be saved. Now, if that is you, and I'm not expecting everybody, if God is speaking to you, and you know that you have a line and you want to cross that line. I've been hiding behind this line, but I want to go over that line and I am going to say, I am going to be one of those people. I want you to come out right now. I want you to come out here and identify yourselves before God. Because I want to train you. We want to take your names down. We're not going to do anything this week. But we are going to do something. We are going to go out and we're going to take the gospel and we're going to go onto the high streets here. We're going to go in different places. But we're going to look for lost souls and we're going to give them the kingdom of God. And we're going to pray with them. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to come back to the church over the course of the year and we're going to testify to what it was like. We're going to testify to you of how we felt. We're going to testify to you of what happened, what was good, what was bad. We're going to testify to you because you are going to hear testimony of what God can do. And that will be an encouragement to all of us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for the reign of your Holy Spirit. I ask, Father, that your power would come upon us. Lord, you see what we are about. In the heavenly realms, oh God, you see what we are about. And we are asking you, oh God, that you would bring an anointing upon us and that you, oh God, would strengthen our hearts so that we, Lord, 
may pursue the things of the kingdom of God in this extra way. Father, we recognize that all of us have a desire to be involved. But Lord, this is a a cutting edge part. And I pray for those that have come forward now. The Lord, that you would do something in their hearts. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, you break fear. Lord, we come against the spirit of fear and intimidation in the name of Jesus. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us an anointing of an evangelist to go out and to share the gospel. Lord, you have said that we go out amongst wolves like lambs. You've said, oh Lord, that it would be hard. But Father, we choose to believe that you are the God who has called us and will deliver us and will help us. And therefore, Lord, we pray over this 2018, give to us testimony, Lord, from yourself that will glorify your name and, Lord, will draw you into this place and will draw many souls into this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to finish there. Guys, I want to make sure I've got all of your names. So if you just come to the side here, I'll just take your names, just so that we can contact, I can contact you. Um, but the rest of us, we're going to stand and we're going to sing.